Deer plugged in. You in on this? Toyota's versatile SUVs roll up their sleeves and take on tough jobs, dress up for a night out, or haul your family and friends with their spacious interiors. And they're available with some real sweet tech. Want a hybrid SUV? Oh yeah, they got those too. All with a slew of standard features so you won't break the bank. Get the juice at Toyota.com, folks. Visit your front-range Toyota stores today. Toyota, let's go places. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Check one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Strava Craft Coffee is CBD-infused coffee that you can get in K-Cups for your Keurig. You can get it whole bean or you can get it ground, but no matter what, you can get it sent straight to your door. You don't have to worry about heading down to the grocery store or anything like that. No, they'll send it right to your door, and they'll send it to you for 20% off when you use the code DNVR20. Strava Craft Coffee, you got to try it and see what it can do for you. CBD, obviously, you know, one of the big uh, – big trends of the last few years and everyone says it does something different for them. So it's always worth a try. Maybe it helps you with that squeaky knee you have, or maybe it just uh, helps with a headache or just gets rid of those coffee jitters that you don't like. So head up Strava craft coffee today and use that code DNBR 20. Welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast presented by MSU Denver Online. Rigorous and affordable education that you can do online with professors who bring the real world into the classroom. We've got some people down uh, in the DNVR office who are cranking away at their MSU Denver classes every day, and they're really enjoying what they have to offer there. So make sure you check it out. Great time to further your education. Seems like everyone has a little bit of extra time on their hands right now with social life dwindling a little bit so uh hit up msudenver.edu slash online today my boy <laughs> there we go oh you know what i forgot to get that in yesterday at the beginning although we were able to get it in in the comments section thanks to somebody uh being very aware enough to get me to say it as i read the comments so how you doing my friend how was the golf oh man i'm i'm doing all right you know mace i i gotta admit I, I don't mean this in, the, this in a cocky way, but like in my life, I'm not very used to losing. And mm-hmm. now we have lost two times in a row to the altitude guys. And I am, I am really um, humble. I'm being humbled quickly. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm just trying to learn how to handle it without being uh, sour and depressed about it. So I have to look back and say, man, we really gave them our A game. We gave them our m- maybe. 
almost our best shot. And they clutched up. We had their backs against the wall on 16 and 17. They had to make some lengthy putts to keep it tied, and they kept it tied. And then, you know, they drop in a 10-footer for birdie on the 18th hole. We had a tap-in par. You think a tap-in par will at least get you to the playoff. And uh, they stepped up and, and, and made the play. So I, all I can do there is tip my cap. I, I'm trying so hard not to be, like, just so upset over this. But, man, it was one hell of a golf match. The first one at Fossil Trace, we were really just hacking around out there. and No one played well. I think everyone was a little tight. The cameras were on. This one we all settled in. Um, we both both teams shot so in an alternate shot format, not a best ball alternate shot where you know there's only one score for the team. We both shot two under on the back. Both teams shot two under on the back. So it was good, mm. good golf being played. And man, you, I, I mean, I'm just going back through every shot and every putt and where could we have gotten <laughs> that one hole back? And man, I can't believe they didn't miss this one or the other one. They had a 50 foot, 50 foot eagle putt on the 11th hole like that doesn't drop which is at least 60 percent luck if that doesn't drop uh we might be talking about a different story here so in the end we tip our caps but man that one hurts yeah i mean sometimes when they're hitting putts like that one that you mentioned it's oh you're just like what do you have to do but uh mm -hmm. You know, you said that uh, you're not accustomed to losing, and the first thought that went through my head was, "You're still a CU Buff fan, right?" But yeah, I, that's I different. I'm I'm used to my teams <laughs> losing. I'm not used to personally losing. Um, but I mean, I guess you know maybe that's what 2020 is all about for me because I joined the Madden League and I'm not very good in that league. I've been taking lots of L's there, uh, L's on the golf course. So. This, maybe this year was just built here to uh, to humble me. But it can also make you better. I mean, to go back to in CU history, I was thinking to myself, didn't Bill McCartney have three consecutive losing seasons when he got to Boulder before getting things turned around? Sometimes you've just got to taste the bitter before you can have the sweet. I think if if you guys keep having these matches, and hopefully this is not going to be the last odd cast uh, oddcast duel between uh between altitude and dnvr then at some point you're going to push the boulder over the top you're going to get it done man so yeah we will. and and uh excitingly that was also the soft launch for dnvr golf which i think mm -hmm. a lot of people really enjoyed our live streams out there on the course and there's a few technical issues yesterday that we're going to work through um, most of it was just because it was so damn hot out there um but we're going to do more live streams from the course with Spencer and Mitch, who were uh, kind of co-hosting it yesterday with Allie. And, man, those guys are awesome. Obviously, golf uh, is surging right now in America as one of the best, you know, socially distanced activities you can do. So uh, we're hopping in on the golf scene. A lot of cool stuff. DNVR golf polo is going to be in the mix. DNVR golf tournaments in the mix. So, uh, you know, I'll have our, I'll have my chance again to compete, and uh, and I'll get over this one eventually. But man, <laughs> the last thing I'll say about this is they hit that eagle putt on eleven to go two up, and they're up two holes with seven to play, and we really could have crumbled. 
because we had a tap in birdie on that hole. Like that should have been a win for us. I mean, our, our birdie putt was six inches and they were 50 feet away. Um, and we really, uh, almost played flawless golf from there on out, like tap in pars, a couple birdies. We really, uh, we were resilient. So I hang my hat on that. We, uh, we played our best golf when our backs were up against the wall. Hey, that's sometimes that's all you can ask in this case in golf, you're, you're playing against somebody else, but they always, the cliche is that you're playing against the course and, uh, seems like you got the better of the course a little more often than not yesterday. And sometimes it's all you can ask. I agree. I agree. All right. I'm going to try and move past this and not keep talking yes. about it. Uh, I know you guys brought this up a little bit on the podcast yesterday, but ESPN came out with these rankings, uh, these NFL future power rankings, projections for the 32 teams for the next three years. And here's what it says is, uh, to project that which NFL franchises are in the best shape for the next three seasons, we asked our panel of experts, Jeremy Fowler, Lewis Riddick, Seth Walder, and Field Yates to rate each team's quarterback, remaining roster, draft, front office, and coaching using this scale. 100 is A-plus elite, 90 is great, B is very good. You know, you, you get it. It's the grading scale. Uh, and they say, you know, after averaging it out, here's where we rank everything. And Mace, I'm scrolling, 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 scrolling up down to 20. It's still not there. Scrolling, 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 scrolling. There it is. The Denver Broncos at 24. And man, I think that's too low. I think that's just too low. It's way too low. And first of all, you, you look at how they came up with these rankings. What they did is they took, they took the attributes of overall roster, quarterback, coaching, draft, and front office, and then they weighted them to get – they ranked everybody based on that, and then they weighted them. They said, okay, 30% is the overall roster, 20% is the quarterback, the draft is 15%, front office 15%, coaching 20%. But – the thing about the thing about this is they by doing that and then having a grade and then getting these numbers like the Broncos are sitting there at 72.3 overall and 76.8 with the overall roster etc they're making it seem scientific but the reality is this is nothing scientific this is nothing analytical this is just how do i feel do i like them or do i not like them like for example this group which I'm not saying that it's not qualified people that were working on this. You had Jeremy Fowler, Seth Walter, Field Yates, and Lou Riddick. I would have liked to have seen Lou Riddick's rankings yeah, on these, yeah, quite frankly, uh, just for him. I'm not sure there's a better there's a better national voice out there right now than Lou Riddick. There is, and he's and and this group collectively has the Broncos ranked 28th in coaching. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that uh, that Vic Fangio is an elite head coach just yet. You've got to do more than that. But literally in coaching, that only puts them ahead of the Bengals at 29, the Detroit Lions at number 30, the Jacksonville Jaguars at 31, and the New York Jets at 32nd. And that's, a, that's the sort of thing that made me think, hmm, I know that the Broncos were 7-9 and nine last year, but 
it was a better record than they had the previous year. They did look more organized, more disciplined, more focused over the course of the season. The team got better over the over the stretch of the year, going from 0-4 at the start to being 7-5 and after that, 2-6 and in the first half of the season, 5-3 and on the back half. Drew Locke had something to do with that, but the team overall was just simply playing better in the second half of the season. A lot of that was coaching adjustments, making sure that uh, you could you could find ways to win even when you were losing personnel to injuries. They figured out how to mask the deficiencies at cornerback beyond Chris Harris Jr. often. They figured out a way to make the pass rush work without Bradley Chubb in there. So something like that, it's entirely subjective, but I don't feel like they they did their homework on the Broncos in a lot in a lot of ways quarterback ranking for one coaching ranking and then front office ranking because John Elway we can talk about how his mid to his mid 2010s drafts were poor they've got him at at 21 but at the same time but at the same time the drafting in recent years has been better and are you re- I mean when you really step back and look at the totality of the Broncos and how they're run uh, under John Elway over the last 10 years would you really put them 21st? That's the sort of thing that bothers me. So <clears throat> they lose me on a couple things here. And um, I guess this is just to be expected until Drew shows the world what he's going to be. Uh, and But they have the Broncos quarterback ranked all the way down at 24. And it's, you know, they have some of these other teams with worse sample size uh, with quarterbacks ranked higher. And, you know, we've talked about this in a couple different areas, including the Madden rankings most recently. But, like, you know, the Miami Dolphins, they have their quarterback ranking at 19, five spots ahead of the Broncos, even though there's no no proof of Tua Tagovailoa being durable long-term. He hasn't done anything at the NFL level. Uh, that one kind of, you know, kind of gets me. Um the Raiders ahead of the Broncos. I, I realize Derek Carr right now is a better quarterback than Drew Locke, but I don't even I don't think they want uh Derek Carr to be their quarterback three years from now, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. Um you go through and it's just like one after another. Uh, you know, they have the Chargers just ranked one spot behind the Broncos, and that's putting a lot that's either putting a lot of faith in Justin Herbert or taking a lot of faith away from Drew Locke. So, again, five-game sample size, yes. But Drew Locke was really impressive in those. And I think it just I, – I don't think he's getting the benefit of the doubt. I think he's getting the opposite of the benefit of the doubt, whereas a lot of these other teams are getting the benefit of the doubt for quarterbacks with less of a sample size. Well, it's funny you mentioned the Raiders because I'm sitting here and I have two windows open on my monitor here. And one is – the paragraphs and the rankings of the Broncos and the other and the other is the Raiders. So I'm looking at them side by side. The Raiders 22nd at quarterback, the Broncos 24th. The Raiders are ranked eighth in the draft, the Broncos 17th. And yet what would be a viable measure of the quality of the draft? Your overall roster, right? Yeah. The Raiders' overall roster is listed at 22nd. The Broncos at 16. And yet the Raiders are in the top quarter of the league in the draft, according to this, 
the Broncos are one spot are are one spot on the one spot bad at beat back and being the, in the top half. They're ranked 17th. So to me, that's not adding up. And further, it's not adding up with what the Raiders did last year in the draft because while they did have some value picks that hit later on, you have to question a little bit on their draft because that first John Gruden, Mike Mayock draft together, uh, they end up getting Cleveland Farrell when Josh Allen, the pass rusher who goes to Jacksonville, was on the board. So I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, I just I don't see why the Raiders are higher in draft. I I mean, I guess you can justify the coaching discrepancy. I, I still think the Broncos are way too low at 28, but the Raiders rank 17th in coaching. You do have a guy who's got a Super Bowl ring on his finger in John Gruden over there. So I can kind of see that a little bit. But by, but the Raiders front office ranks higher than the Broncos. Raiders yeah. 20th, Broncos 21st. And the, the one that really got me, the one that I had to laugh at when I saw was Cleveland. Mm. Cleveland's front office ranks four spots ahead of the Broncos. How? Cleveland's coaching. By the way, Kevin Stefanski hasn't coached a game as a head coach in the NFL. Five spots ahead of the Broncos. And that's – I saw those and I thought, that tells me that some of these rankings, even though they are the consensus, they read like they just toss darts blindfolded and this is what they came up with. Yeah, you know, it happens a lot in sports, but it's very clear what's happening here is the unknown is being valued a lot more than the known. And I don't know if they if they decided to go with um, coaching. Do you know how they did the coaching? Was it ranking the coordinators and the head coach, or uh, was it just the head coach? I believe it was the entire – I believe it was the totality of the coaching staff. I don't think they – yeah, they, they don't specify, but – in term, but they do, uh, there are a few coordinators I believe mentioned at various points in the story, so I think they are ranking the staff. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I I do see a couple mentions here of uh, mm-hmm. of coordinators. So that Vic Fangio is an elite defensive coordinator. Like you would put the Broncos' defensive coordinator in the top five, and. That's so that means you, you know, to average that out, if you put their offensive coordinator at 32, it still doesn't even get close. Even if you put their special teams coordinator at 32, it still doesn't drop all the way down to 28 if you average that out. So that to me, I, I don't know. I feel like they're going really hard against Vic Fangio here uh, and his staff. I mean, Pat Shermer also, you know, would not be ranked as the worst offensive coordinator in the league. You, at worst, I think you put him right in the middle. And if you take position coaches into account, well, there are more than a few people who will tell you the Broncos have the best offensive and defensive line coaches in the game. In Mike Munchak and Bill Kolar. They'll tell you that that Reggie Herring is one of the better linebacker coaches, that uh, Zach Azani is one of the best young position coaches in the league at wide receiver, that that Curtis Mockins is one of the better young position coaches in the league at running back, that there's talent all over that staff but if even if you only take coordinators I think realistically you would say that Pat Shermer and Tom McMahon are you know somewhere in the middle tier right I mean they're Mm -hmm. not they're not bringing up the rear I mean I think uh 
with McMahon, I wish he'd been a little less loyal to uh, to Colby Wadman over the last couple of years. But they fixed th- they fixed that glitch. They got Sam Martin in there now. So mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that I I can I can. It's funny because I can rational even though I don't agree with the quarterback ranking, especially when it's a three year ranking. That's the key thing here. Like at the end of three years, Tom Brady might not be a Tampa Bay Buck, right? And you know what the what do the Bucks have? Behind Tom Brady, they've got Blaine Gabbert and Ryan Griffin. In other words, the next quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after Tom Brady is not on the roster. Yet they still rank 13th. They're still you know, firmly in the top half with a number five overall roster. And by the way, a number 19 front office, a front office that has been in place for a few years now with Jason Light as, as the GM and has won diddly poo, has not even gotten them to a playoff. There are all sorts of there are all sorts of logical inconsistencies dotted through these rankings. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even Cincinnati, they have Cincinnati's quarterback ranked seventeenth. How? <laughs> How can you almost be in the top half of the league before you've even taken a snap? And you know, uh for some I actually thought they they have Josh Allen ranked down at twenty sixth. I think that's too low uh, considering that, you know, he's going to develop over the next three years and he's been a competent starter already. So I, I don't, you know, I don't think these guys who did these rankings are dumb by any stretch of the mind. I think they're pretty good football minds, but I just, I think they're going pretty hard against the Broncos and I can't quite figure out why they don't believe in Drew Locke. Somehow John Elway's, you know, a bad drafter, like, it's it's not adding up to me. I think the Broncos should be middle of the road here at the worst. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think, for example, they should not be lower than Cleveland. Cleveland is sixteenth. Yeah, I think the two. I think if they're probably comparable, and I think maybe the Broncos are one or should be one or two spots higher than Cleveland, but they should not be sitting there eight spots below the Browns that right. that's the sort of thing that, that has me that, that that just has me scratching my head a little bit it Cleveland the the Las Vegas Raiders they're sitting there at 16 and 19 respectively that's the, those are the two that I think hmm. I mean we're, I'm not going to sit here and blow sunshine up every up, up everybody's you know what and say that the Broncos should be top five they're not and Maybe when you're doing this next year, if Drew Locke has busted out this year, they are. But you a ranking that reflects that the jury is still out, but also reflects what has been done the last three off seasons to rebuild this roster from where things kind of bottomed out in 2017. I think that is something that's more accurate. The trend, even though it's it's slow. The trend is in the right direction. Even if you just take the most basic metric of wins and losses, they've gone from five and eleven to six and ten to seven and nine. It's you know it's laborious and painstaking and frustrating along the way, but they're going in the right direction. And if you're doing a three-year out ranking, isn't it logical to believe that this team should be better in three years? That it should be at least in the top half of the NFL. That's you know like fifth. 15th if you gave me 15th I'd say perfect that's fine that reflects what we don't know about 
the development of this team, but also what we do know about the good things that have happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Drew, the Drew Locke thing, it's just, it's going to change very quickly. A lot of people are going <laughs> to have to retract and everyone builds in these little outs because I know that there's a little part of them that thinks they're going to be wrong on Drew Locke, but you know, they're trying to go back on what they said in the draft and, almost rooting against him for their own personal narrative. But everyone says, you know, in rankings like this, but if Drew Locke hits, oh, the Broncos are going to shoot up these rankings quickly. And it's like, yeah, that's a nice little uh, safety valve you've built in for yourself. So when I go back with the screenshot where you said that the Broncos quarterback situation was 24th and it's now fifth or something in three years, you say, well, I did say they're going to shoot up the rankings if Drew Locke hits. It's like, yeah, no crap. You're supposed to be able to – uh watch five games and know whether or not he's gonna hit anyways uh we oh, do boy. it'll be uh it'll be fun to watch the backtracking once drew luck uh, becomes the guy that i think he's gonna be i'm glad i cut and pasted that story and emailed it to rk because now i'm gonna be able to have it saved and looked at it easily and uh i think this is worth revisiting when we get to the end of the regular season and after the playoffs, we start reflecting on what the Broncos did in 2020. I think the tune is going to be quite different. I do too. I do too. Okay, Mace, we got to get to our draft Kings pick of the week. Everyone's favorite segment when Mace gives out mortal locks (laughs) that you should bet your mortgage on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm actually going to, make a a bet against my Atlanta Braves. I don't bet on my team. I've been known to bet against my Mm, team. You're an emotional Uh, hedger. Yeah, and I don't have a good feeling about the matchup today. They're going against the Mets, and while the Mets staff has been shredded over uh, over the last year or so, Jacob deGrom is on the bump today, and there's an over under of six and a half strikeouts the Braves are, you know, they're, they're going to swing. They're going to try. They're going to try to use all the power that they've got in their lineup. They added a, they even added a, a Matt Big City Adams back to the lineup, and he's projecting as a DH right now. So it's a lineup that they're going to attack. It's going to be a lot of power, but that means the potential for some strikeouts. And the over/under on strikeouts for Jacob Degrom is six and a half. I'm going with the over. He gets more than six and a half strikeouts today when the Braves take on the Mets. Man, I absolutely, absolutely love that. I will be getting in on that with you. I think that's about four strikeouts too low. Well, that being said, given the fact that most of my bets are wrong, I'm hoping that this one is wrong. If I'm right on this, I'm going to curse the gambling gods and say, you know what? The one time that I wanted to be wrong, I got this right. Well, well, you can be right and still uh, have the Braves (laughs) win, you know? The Braves can win 10-0 and strike out 10 times. That's, that is true. That <laughs> is true. Good point. Uh, so that's a, nice, that's a nice emotional hedge. So DraftKings right now is doing a fun little uh, promotion where they say pick a team on the money line uh, from a, fe- a, a list of featured games, and this includes the Rockies game tonight. And regardless of the outcome, for every home run your team hits, you're going to get a $5 free bet. Uh, and so I'm going in on the Rockies tonight. I'm going to take them on the money line. You got to put down $25, uh, to, to qualify. So I'll put my 25 down on the Rockies. And I think, you know, I talked to the, to the DNVR Rockies guys and man, 
they think that the that the team could really blast off tonight and and actually they're eligible for any of the three games this weekend so I might hit it uh hit it every night because uh, I think the Rockies bats are going to be flying out there in Texas so uh that's my pick tonight we'll give out the Rockies I think it's like minus or it's actually plus 121 so if the Rockies win you're going to win you know about 30 bucks instead of just your 25 and uh, hopefully they hit four or five home runs and you can get uh, another 20 in free, in free bets. Well, the power's been turned on for them in the two exhibition games they've already played down there in Texas. It's impossible to know at this point uh, how Globe Life is going to play. Is it going to be a pictures park or a hitter's park? But the Rockies are making it look like a hitter's park right now, at least like a power hitter's park in particular. So, yeah, I've got a, I've got a good feeling about them this weekend. And the good thing about this mace is so much, you know, on the, on the bet show, when we talk golf, we say horses for courses, you know, Ah. the golf, certain golfers just wake up and they look at the course and they're like, this is my course. Like, you know, I think that's how all of us felt at common ground yesterday. Uh, And I think that this is sort of like the Rockies got some practice rounds in at globe life and they have to be liking it right now. Like the, the bats, they're going to wake, they woke up today thinking we're going to hit here uh, because they have already, you know, it's like they, it's like they shot mm-hmm. two under in their practice round. Um, so that's a good, good sign for the Rockies. Absolutely. And that's uh, exciting just to be talking about real sports. I mean, again, games that count. I mean, it was a bummer that last night the nationals and Yankees, had the rain out that hit in the sixth inning, but it wasn't that long before we had to wait to watch the the Dodgers and the Giants. And of course the Dodgers were unfortunately for the Rockies as advertised. Yep. Um, It's only one game. The funny thing about baseball is that sometimes when seasons start, I hear too, I hear too much hand wringing over the form in the first week to 10 days of the season, because you do have that football mentality, the urgency of every game that sort of seeps into other sports. And uh, sometimes you hear the chatter after, you know, one series or one weekend. It's like, okay, got, calm down, calm down. There's a buck 62. It's a long season. Everyone's got to get back into a baseball mind frame. But this year you kind of have to have the football mindset of, of every game having value, every game being crucial. You can't, you can't really play the long game in the same way that you would over, the, over a season. So never has a, a fast start been, been more important. I mean, if you, can, if you can jump out, you can play well. But let's say you, you go on a tear at the start of the season and you go eight and two in the first ten games, then you put yourself in the, in the position for being a team that everyone's trying to chase and catch. And uh, with 16 teams getting into the playoffs, if you start off eight and two in the first ten, feeling pretty damn good about your chance of, of being there in October. Conversely, you know, let's say the uh, Giants get swept this week. Mm-hmm. If you're three, you know, if you're three games out of first place with 57 games left, you're not feeling terrible, but you're, your back is up against the wall already. Uh, well, with, without Buster Posey, too, that's the other thing. I mean, yeah. you're sitting there without, without your catalyst, without – without your table setter there, without, without power in that lineup. So, I mean, I, I saw that, and the, the Dodgers looked imposing. The Giants look like they're headed for a year that will be short in terms of, 
in terms of games played, but long in terms of how uh, it's, it's going to feel. And uh, I mean, you can't blame Buster Posey for opting out, given everything, given, uh, given stuff away from baseball as well, but it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for them. And, uh, and the Dodgers are going to be, are going to be potent and formidable. And uh, you just hope the Rockies can find a way to steal a few from them over the course of the year. Yeah. And and we want the the, uh, Giants to be terrible. Because yeah. they, you know, you know, the Rockies <laughs> need someone to beat up on, and the Padres, I think, actually are going to be a team that you can beat up on as well. Um, so maybe that'll cancel out just how good these Dodgers are going to be. You're going to have to stack up wins against the Giants and the Mariners. Yep. yep. In a big way, if if you're the Rockies, those are those are games. Those are those are a cluster of games that you've got to win. Basically, three three out of three out of four that sort of thing. You've got to be, you got to be at least 75% against those to make up for what you might lose. And then the other thing is how this season's going to go. And we'll get back to football in a moment, but if you are a team that is expected to do well and does do well, like in the, let's say the first half of the season, you're, you know, you're the Dodgers or the, the, the Braves or the Cardinals or the Na- Nationals teams like that. And say through 30 games, you're sitting there at 20 and 10. At that point, the way you manage the second half of the season becomes interesting because with 16 teams making the postseason, eight in each league, and you know, home field advantage is only going to be just what you know about your park. That's it. You're not going to have the crowd in your corner in all likelihood when we get to, when we get to the postseason. Do you start managing your team as though like and managing players and managing how you use pictures to make sure that everybody is ready for the playoffs, knowing that, Hey, seating doesn't mean all that much, not like a usual year. And you're not worried about if you start off 20 and 10, you're not really worried about fading and falling completely out of the playoffs. Cause you could probably go 10 and 20 the rest of the way and still be in the postseason. So how teams attack, the season as it goes on, how they manage their resources. I'm really fascinated to, to see this because it's really, I mean, it's cliche, but it's unlike anything we've ever seen in baseball. And so I'm, as a baseball nerd, I'm curious about it. Well, mates, we're talking about beer and uh, we're talking about betting and baseball. <laughs> we've got three more B's that go very well with betting and baseball. It's beers from Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, we got five B's here, beers, Breckenridge Brewery, baseball betting and that's what this weekend for me at least is all about so make sure you get some breck brews maybe you're going to come down to the dnvr bar tonight uh for our opening day celebration should be a good time uh of course we sold out quickly because we only have so many seats that we can uh fill up so you know it'll we'll still be following all social distancing guidelines and everything that's been handed down from the state uh but should be a awesome time down there and to get some Breck brews. I, of course, will be down there hanging out. Uh, and uh, if you're not coming down to the DNVR bar, make sure you head to your local liquor store and get yourself um, one of the 15 can packs from Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, and then, of course, while you're at it, why don't you check out DNVR Raptors or actually DNVR Rugby? It's changed now. And it's really cool, you know, what we're doing here. Um, the Raptors decided they want to amplify USA Rugby, and we're going to do the same. We're going to amplify USA Rugby. So check out our coverage uh, at thednvr.com. Colton Strickler heading that up, and 
He's a great resource for all things rugby. And speaking of rugby, Mace, I got to give a shout out to my guy here, um, Vuki, who is a big Brisbane Broncos fan. And as, of course, you and I, also lifetime Brisbane Broncos fans. <laughs> he, he hooked us he, – he offered, and I accepted, he hooked it up with a jersey from the Brisbane Broncos. It's a beautiful-looking jersey. And then he also sent me some Vegemite which I'm going to ah. try at some point. I've never had it before, only heard bad things, and that makes me want to try it. Can I have a Vegemite sandwich? It's like a peanut butter. It's basically the Australian version of a peanut butter sandwich. Man, I'm a little bit scared, but also a little bit excited. Do you know anything about Vegemite? I mean, I know, I know that it has a taste that is sometimes kind of, acquired that it's got some saltiness to it some bitterness to it um but i've never had it so i mean i've just i i know what i've been told about it i don't know what exactly it tastes like well i now have it so maybe, oh. I can, maybe i'll bring it down to the office one of these days and everyone can <laughs> have a bite we can do a taste yeah test. anyways shout out to vuki uh really really appreciate that so cool and man that brisbane broncos jersey is pretty beautiful the uh red and gold big old nike logo on there you know i love that so anyways uh check out our rugby coverage at the dnvr.com all right mace let's get into the questions from the listeners yes let's dive in and start first with Maine broncos fan he says hey guys i think i missed the cutoff on the last one first time commenter been listening since the ryan and bk days wow you said to give wow that is ways back very long time you just had to give a shout out to the nfl blitz talk i recently played the original nfl blitz with my best friend who i used to play with back when the game was new for three hours and man it was fun like ryan said terrible graphics but it doesn't even matter it's a blast and of course it was made in 98 so the broncos are stacked Oh, and the fumbling every time he got hit was Butterfingers, one of the button mash codes at the beginning. Last thing, I know I'm the only one sad to see Colby Wadman leave, but I watched almost every game over the past two years with his very proud grandparents in a little sports bar in Bangor, Maine. And because of the pod, when they came and introduced themselves for the first time, because I was the only person there with Broncos gear, when they said, our grandson is the new punter. I got to say that I knew who he was. His grandmother has been struggling with lung cancer since this time last year, and I lost my grandmother to that two years ago. I picked her up a Broncos kick cancer winter hat last year, and they've always kept in contact via email in the offseason. Hopefully they still rock the number three Wadman jerseys, even though he's gone. Sorry for the long first comment, but have a great one, guys. Love it, man. That's Welcome awesome. to the comment section. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a strong start, by the way, when you're uh, watching games with uh, family members of somebody on the team, even though they're not there anymore. And, you know, I know we've been critical of Colby Wadman's perform performance while he was a Bronco, but uh, one thing I think we, we try to do for the, as much as possible is make sure that the critiques are just of what they're doing as football players and their performance and not let it get personal truth is i mean colby wadman is a is a good dude i always enjoy talking with him in the locker room and he always answered questions about some of the about the ups and downs and there were some downs and he and he was a true pro about that while he was with the team so hoping for the best for him and you know one thing about those about punters is 
sometimes it takes a little while before they can really stick. They've got to fail before they succeed in the NFL. And, uh, you know, Colby's probably working hard somewhere, working hard on his craft and, uh, maybe he'll get another shot down the line and, uh, be what he couldn't quite be in Denver over that year and three quarters. He was the punter. Yep. Absolutely. Next one here coming in from Mark IT snatch. Hey guys, it truly is feel good Friday. Baseball is back. If you didn't see it, Tom Verducci and John Hamm released a great video yesterday covering the importance of baseball when the country needs a distraction. Welcome back old friend. Anyway, today we look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. It seems like every Broncos trip to the playoffs includes a face-off with the black and gold brigade. And while Tebow to DT, by the way, it's black and yellow, not gold. Uh, and the Tebow to DT walk-off was magical. It certainly isn't the only one. What was the best Broncos-Steelers game in Mace for the Bucks? I, I find it interesting that he wants to know what you think is the best Bucks steelers game. <laughs> I personally yeah, don't a, want to yeah. know that. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate that Mark wants to know. that, And I think part of it is to kind of contrast – the success largely contrast the success of one team with the Broncos with the failures of another like that of, of the Bucks. Because for the Broncos, if I'm picking the best Steelers game, obviously the one that's going to jump out is the, the wild card game in January of 2012 with Tebow DT, like he mentioned. But the Broncos, they beat the Steelers in 1977. So their first playoff win ever was against the Steelers. And even though it wasn't the best Steelers team of the 70s, I believe they went 9-5 and five that year, it was still a loaded team in terms of talent. They won the Super Bowl the following year, and then unfortunately in the playoffs they beat, they, they beat the Broncos down over at Three Rivers in the divisional round. But that game, that, that game on Christmas Eve of 1977, where the Broncos, they get the ball back, and you think they're going to run out the clock, and Red Miller – pulls the okey-doke and says, nope, and Craig Morton drops back, goes deep, hits Jack Dolbin in the, uh, in the, in the left, down the left sideline in the end zone for a touchdown, and Mile High goes mad if you've seen the, the old NFL films clips, and it's just pure delirium. I think that even they've even caught uh, Gerald Phipps, uh, one of the co-owners at the time, hugging teammates or hugging Broncos players on the sidelines, even though I've had players who played it for the team at the time that said, Hey, Gerald Phipps was a good owner, but he didn't know who all the players were. Oh, and that was the difference. Well, that was the difference between him and Pat Bowen that right. Pat knew your name. Pat knew everything about you as a player, but Gerald Phipps, I mean, he wasn't as involved in the football side of it. So, you know, he just, he, he kind of knew, Oh, so you'd be your number 47. You're, you're so-and-so. So that that's the other one that jumps out. And of course there was a great playoff game in January of 1990, the Steelers and Broncos going back and forth. And then finally, and this is, you could argue this was the moment where the mile high crowd was at its most impactful. It's 24 to 23 inside of, you know, inside of two minutes, right around there. Bubby Brister, the Steelers quarterback, trying to get off a shotgun snap. He can't hear. He's, wave, he's waving his arms. He's trying to get everybody on the same page. And the snap gets boxed, and the Broncos recover the fumble. I mean, never has the crowd made that much of a difference on one play at Mile High Stadium, I would argue, in a high-leverage situation as it, did, as it did right then. So I think about that as well. And that was, that was Mile High magic. 
But the Steelers, of course, they've beaten the Broncos in some big games. We can go down the list. So that, this is part of why I argue that in spite of what Broncos Patriots has been over the Peyton Manning era and even when Mike Shanahan and Bill Belichick were going against each other, over the long haul, the Broncos' biggest non-division rival is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I have to say, for me, it's obviously TiVo to DT. Like, I know you say it's not the only one. And, Mace, you gave some great examples there. But a walk-off playoff win that wasn't a field goal. Like, rarely do you get the walk-off touchdown. And that's once-in-a-lifetime type of situation there. Uh, just exhilarating. One of those moments you remember exactly where you were, who you were with, what you were doing, how you celebrated. And uh, that one, it's, it's pretty unbeatable in this case, in my opinion. Yeah, it's unbeatable. But the thing is, there, there were so many other good choices. I mean, it would have been a tough choice before Tebow DT. But when Mark asked me about the Bucks, well, we have any number of games we can choose from from Broncos Steelers. Did you know that they even played the first regular season tie, uh, over, overtime tie in NFL history? Right after not. the overtime rules changed, they played a full sudden death period and finished with a tie at Mile High Stadium. So there's all sorts of great games, historic games. And then you have Bucks Steelers. And they've played each other 11 times. And the Bucks have only won two. Some of these games have been awful. I mean, they, they played a game in 1976 when the Bucs were 0-14 that basically involved the Steelers taking pity on the Bucs in the second half because it got so out of hand. So, Mark, my favorite Bucks steelers game, there's only two to choose from. They had a 1998 game in the rain that I was at. The Bucs won 16-3. But I love the game that they played in – 2014 early season where the Bucks come back late and it was Mike Glennon's shining moment he was okay the previous year but his shining moment as an NFL quarterback came when he drove the Bucks down and hit Vincent Jackson for a game-winning touchdown to win the game at Heinz Field for the Bucks 27-24 the bright spot in a very dark season that saw the Bucks go two and 14 and earn the right to pick Jameis Winston. That's, that's the one that jumps out for me. I was actually watching that game at my brother-in-law's place in Wisconsin and was a little bit giddy as, uh, as after Vincent Jackson scored, even though I knew it was a bad team. The Bucks were already 0 and three. I mean, they, they were, they were destined for doom, but it was a bright spot. There you go. Good one. He says, double comment, what's the best Broncos game overall against the AFC North? I think I've already given mine. You'd ha- you know what, though? The problem is the AFC North includes the drive. Um, true. But still, I mean. The drive, walk- the fumble. I know, but walk-off, playoff winner. I know, I know. Or – Walk-off playoff winner is tough, but I, I, I have to put the drive at the top. I mean, I'm sorry. That's just yeah, – it's, I mean, too, it's, it, it's so significant. I mean, it's one of the probably – one of the three or four most significant moments in Broncos history. Tebow to DT was a great moment, but it doesn't have the significance of John Elway leading the team 98 yards. I mean, that's – you could argue that that moment for Elway is – even more impactful than the Super Bowls that he won as far as making the legend of John Elway. Yeah, 
Totally. I mean, a lot of great options there. Next one's from Wildcard. What up, fellas? The Drew Locke Bronco hate is real. Got on the BR comments to see what people thought of Derry Judy hype video, and there are more Raiders fans hating on there than Broncos fans excited for the deal being reached. Seems like the prediction from Raiders fans is the Broncos will go only 6-10, and 10, which to me is laughable. Why are you caring about what Raiders fans think about the Broncos? It doesn't seem like anyone has a real reason to not like Locke, aside from the competition he played against. But I hope the rest of the NFL world keeps sleeping on us because I have a sneaking suspicion the Broncos are about to wake everyone up this season. All I got to say to a 6-10 and 10 prediction is, open your eyes! And all I have to say to you reading uh, Raiders comments and thinking it matters is, open your eyes! <laughs> The Broncos got, uh, only got better last season on both sides of the ball, and I don't see them dropping the first four games of the season like last year. Crazy to think that two last-second field goals and one drop pass in the end zone pretty much kept us out of the playoffs last year, considering how disappointing of a year it was. I think the only direction for this Broncos team is up. Hard to not think if Drew was the uh, guy all year instead of Sacco, we would have really had a chance to make the postseason. I guess if it's if I guess if it's and butts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Anyways, I gotta stay out of the BR comments because it got me fired up this Friday. Ya boy wild card. So Jim Sakamano was the Broncos quarterback last year? <laughs> or uh, <laughs> former I know Avs coach Joe Sacco. Yeah. Or uh, I the funny thing, last night uh, I spent about an hour or two going through some old archives because I'm trying to organize all the photos I have because you might, I, we might need some historical photos. I like to have them, and I'm sure we can use them on DMVR from time to time. I found a photo of Joe Flacco from the Combine when he was doing a press conference. Mm-hmm. He was just as dour as he was when he was here. I mean, <laughs> like not smiling, just kind of just uh, the, the expressionless face that, that he had. No emotion whatsoever. And it's, I thought, hmm, that's, that's really – that's really on brand for him. You know, looking at the Bleacher Report comments is like me when I found this file that for some reason I made in 06 of people that were hate writing hate comments about me on message boards at the time. And, you know, I, I asked myself now, why did I do that? Why did I keep that? I, I deleted the file. I don't ever want to see that again. So why are you going to the Raiders section and reading or a Raiders comp centric comment section and reading this don't do that i mean we've we've heard enough from the raiders we heard that podcast snippet from the official raiders podcast a few a few weeks ago don't do it don't do it don't do it remember and remember the raiders this is a team and a fan base that has only been in the playoffs once in the last 17 years and they were one and done yep so the other ryan happy feel good and squeaky bum talk friday I hope that you enjoyed your time on the links, RK. And Mace, I hope that you enjoy watching your Atlanta Braves in baseball this evening and weekend. I'm commenting early this morning before heading out for my spouse's surgery at Parker Adventist Hospital. Hopefully all goes well. And we're right there with you. Hope everything goes well. She comes through smoothly. And, uh, and hope that uh, you're in good hands over at uh, Parker Adventist Hospital. I think you will be. And she Absol- will be, too. Absolutely. <laughs> The video that Jerry Judy posted yesterday gave me chills, but also got me fired up at the same time. The Judy hype train is gaining steam. I was elated when the Broncos drafted him. I still can't believe that they got him at 15. I look forward to what he will accomplish during his career. Judy's ability and talent paired with his insatiable desire to put in the work and improve 
will be fun to watch. I think that Judy ceiling is to have an impact like Julio Jones, but with fewer yards since the Broncos have so many young offensive weapons at their disposal now. Can you think of any Broncos or Buccaneers for Mace rookie besides John Elway and Von Miller that we were as stoked for than Judy? Also, what do you think of the Washington football team's temporary uniforms? I actually really like numerals on the helmets. I leave with the following quote today from Charles Schwab, which has to do with investing in people, not money. Quote, the way to develop the, way to develop the best that isn't in person is by appreciation and encouragement. Unquote. DNV Army. Salute. Salute, man. And again, we're really thinking of you. Hope everything goes good over at Parker Adventist. Um, as for the Washington football team, I think this whole thing is silly. It's not that hard to come up with a new name. Just decide, just pick one and go from there. But uh, the the uniforms do look nice. I'll give them that. Yeah, and they're not they're, they're not you know reinventing the wheel, nor should they. I mean, really, I don't think the problem is with the the colors. I don't think the problem is with the the uniforms. At least when you you take off the iconography to go to go with the nickname. And actually, I'm perfectly okay with this, with being the Washington football team, because you're hoping that whatever nickname you have is something that will be that, – that will last and stand – or pardon me – that will stand the test of time, that will endure over the decades. That's what you want. You don't want to come up with this willy-nilly. You want to make sure you get it right. And if taking some time to get it right means – being the Washington football team for a season, that's fine. Me, I'm actually looking forward to buying some some trinkets and shakshkis of the Washington football team. I'm, I have an old pennant of the team by its previous name that my dad got in 1973. So it's it's kind of a vintage piece of a, a, a vintage souvenir. But when they have a pennant for the Washington football team, I'm taking – the old one down and putting up the Washington football team pennant because this isn't going to last. And we're going to look back in 20 years and, and kind of chuckle about, Oh, wow. Did a team really go through a season with a nickname? Well, yes, it did. So I'm, I'm going to invest in some Washington football team souvenirs, probably buy some for my, for my dad as well. Cause I, he's, he's on board with it, with the name change. He's, he's more than ready for it. All right. Interesting. Uh, I will, I just think it's kind of silly, but that's just me. From Hip Hip U Ray. Hey guys, happy Friday. I haven't commented in a while because I've been slammed with work and had some technological issues, but still listening every day. Nice go on the golf outing, RK and Hank. Too bad we couldn't get the W. I know. I feel bad too. I know I'm two days behind on this one, but when you guys were talking about the Broncos-Bengals Monday night game in 2015, I had to chime in because it was the one and only Broncos game I've been to. I remember it being colder than a polar bear's testes because the kickoff temp was 12 degrees and there wasn't enough fireball in my flask to help keep me warm. Also, the fact that I went to a game with a Bengals fan. Luckily, we are really good friends because after that first half, we might have been fighting. Furthermore, prior to when McManus had shanked the field goal to potentially win the game, my friend yelled Noonan. I was so mad that steam came out of my head. Luckily, we won the game and our season <laughs> catapulted forward into the promised land of a Super Bowl victory. I'll never forget the experience, and certainly I'm looking forward to the day I can see my beloved Broncos again in person amongst a sea of orange and blue. I want to leave everyone today with a quote by Robin Williams, who would have been 69 this week. Quote, everyone is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind, always. Cheers, boys. Go Broncos nice. and go DNVR. Hell of a quote there. That's, that's an amazing quote. And by the way, 
that's an amazing story about your friend yelling Noonan on, yeah. on that kick because poor Brendan McManus, he, he didn't just miss that. I mean, Shank like he said, he shanked it. That, that thing just duck hooked left. I, it missed the net entirely, I believe. That's oh, how oh, bad yeah, it oh, yeah. was. It was, it was the worst, I mean, literally the worst kick of his career. In, in what felt like the highest leverage moment that he would ever have to face. And you're like, oh, my gosh. But that was, that, was a, that was a fun game. It was a crazy game. But as we mentioned when we were talking about it a couple of days ago, RK, it was a game defined by missed kicks because I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. If Mike Nugent doesn't miss that kick, that would have put the Bengals up 17-0. I don't think the Broncos come back and win that game with Brock Osweiler. They're down three scores. I think that is, I think that is a mountain that would have been too steep to climb. And then you had, and then as a result, you end up not being at home in the playoffs. You end up not having home field advantage. You've changed everything. Just so much had to go right for the Broncos. As great as that defense was that year, so much had to go right to help kind of pave the way for winning the Super Bowl that year. And it was almost a little bit of payback in the Broncos' favor for all the stuff that went wrong that fateful January day in 2013 against Baltimore. Absolutely. From Grumpy Pancake, top of the morning, dudes. Colin here. When Mason and Andre were talking about which players would make the most negative impact depth-wise if they were to opt out, it made me think of something interesting. From my years of experience as a musician, I've learned that when putting together a band, it's important to have all the necessary parts come together to create something successful. If one crucial piece is missing, whether at a rehearsal or a performance, you feel the emptiness in the music. My odd brain started making an analogy to football because, of course, teams are very similar. It made me think if each, pe- uh, each position on the football team was metaphorically a band member, what would they be and what role would they play? Example, I would say running backs would be a guitarist because they're super easy to find. And the challenge lies in finding the right ones to fit your team or your band's particular scheme. I have more ideas on this, but I want to hear who you guys think. Who in the Broncos band would be metaphorical singers, drummers, keyboardists, etc.? Who would be in the back with the cowboy? Looking forward to the next pod. Enjoy your Flim Flam Friday. So we, of course, start with the lead singer being the quarterback. Because if a band has a bad lead singer, they just can't be good. And if a team has a, quarter, a bad quarterback, they just can't be good. I think it's got to be more than lead singer. The quarterback has such an outsized role. It's all, I would say that the quarterback is Phil Collins in Genesis after Peter Gabriel and Steve Hackett left the band, the lead singer and the drummer. So not only out front, but also keeping time, making sure that, making sure that everybody's on the right path. Of course, when they performed in concerts in that era, the great Chester Thompson would be on drums and then Phil would sometimes go join him on drums. But when they were making music in the studio, Phil had to do both. So and I'm probably going to get some, some flack for praising Phil Collins here, but he's an amazingly talented musician in that regard. And that's the sort of thing that a quarterback is. You've got to be more than just out front. You've got to make sure that every, that everybody is on pace a little bit. And so that's kind of where I'd start. I think that's a great analogy on guitarists uh, being running backs. Uh, the one thing I would ask uh, you, Grumpy Pancake, and also maybe you know more about this, RK. How hard is it to find someone who plays bass? 
harder than guitar just because it's not as popular right. but um i would make the case and i don't mean this as any sort of um insults to anyone who plays bass because it's extremely integral to everything as well but it's a it's a little bit easier so there are more out there that get the job done okay so maybe maybe you'd say that the wide receivers are your basis because it's running backs they're fungible assets receivers it's relatively easy to find guys but uh a little a little bit trickier and also when you find someone it's you're gonna you're gonna be in the long haul with them okay uh keyboardists so offensive line yeah or yeah i mean i i i guess i have to know the style of band because i would say maybe uh the wide receivers are the backup vocals like you know, uh, they need the lead singer to lead them, um, but they can make the lead singer sound better by being very good. Okay. Who's got the cowbell? Oh, uh, long snapper. Oh. Like you, you only, only notice you... they mess up. Right. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Great question, Grumpy Pancake. Uh, I like that one. From Broncos, Sooners, New York Rangers. My boys, happy Friday. Let's talk some football. First, I want to thank you guys for reading my questions. Yesterday, I brought up 10 players, and Mason Andre mentioned Sammy Baugh, Mean Joe Green, and Rod Winson. All excellent choices. I considered Baugh very heavily. A couple other players I wanted to mention. Reggie White, Bruce Smith, Bruce Matthews, Johnny Unitas, and Joe Montana. There have always been uh, there have been so many amazing players in history. A top ten is nearly impossible, but it's always fun to try. On to my question: What player in Broncos history would you least like to be hit by? Assume they are in full pads and you are in what as well. Paxton Lynch has thrown a deep in route to you, but it's a lollipop and not the most accurate, leading you into the line of a Broncos defender who has a totally clean shot you cannot avoid. Paxton is dancing like uh, that moronic gif of him. I mean, it's obviously Steve uh, is the one you least want to get hit by. He says some to consider Steve Atwater, Dennis Smith, uh, John Lynch, Bill Romanowski, Al Wilson, and TJ Ward. Okay. The thing about Steve Atwater is he hit hard, but uh, clean. He, he, he hit cleaner than John Lynch did. As much as I love John Lynch, he went to the line and over it. True story. John Lynch literally knocked out his brother-in-law in a game. Wow. Yeah. He's play, the Bucks are playing the Bears, and the Bears have a rookie tight end named John Allred, and he knocks him cold Jeez, on the field. Man. And I, I think back of, like, the Lynch hit on Dallas Clark, the one, what that got him fined. I mean, Steve Atwater could hit people. John Lynch was knocking people out. So that's why I'd say I wouldn't, the, the guy I would least want to be hit by was John Lynch. Yeah. What about Kanoi Kennedy? Another guy who wasn't afraid to lay a little bit of a dirty hit down. Right. And he, got, and he, uh, he suffered a suspension as well yep. at one point because of it. And, and he, could, he could bring the wood as well. He was, he was a fun player to watch. My, one of my favorite uh, safety cores in Broncos history was uh, – was back in 1994, and of course they had just signed uh, John Lynch, but they in had Nick Ferguson. Yeah, what did I say? You said did 1994. Say 19. Oh my God, that's because I was thinking about the 90s with uh, John Lynch as, as a Bucks as a Buck. But in 04, you had John Lynch, Nick Ferguson, and Kenoy Kennedy. 
Mm. And Ferguson didn't see as much work because of of Kennedy and Lynch, but he got in there some. And those those guys could just pack a punch. Yep. Unfortunately, it didn't help the Broncos go any further than they did the previous year because they got to the postseason and Rock Alexander had to start at cornerback and Peyton Manning looked at Rock Alexander and said, I am picking on you all day and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Yeah, I'll still go Steve in this one, though, because, like, I just really don't want to get hit by a freight train. No. Mile High Mike. Mile repost- high. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Mile High Mike reposting my comment from Wednesday as per Mace's request. Team Crunchy. I love crunchy peanut butter. Can't wait for you to try it on a PB&J. So good. RK, take this life lesson of second chances and take a trip to Fort Collins. You might just find you like the best city in Colorado, too. It's just like you said, quote, sometimes you develop these biases when you're a little kid and you don't understand the finer things in life, unquote. Just like Ram Country, love you, RK, wink emoji. Sorry for the long comment. Go Crunchy, Peanut Butter, Onions, Ice Band, Ram Country, and Broncos Country. I have spoken Mile High Mike. Yeah, I've been to to Fort Collins since my taste buds have developed and – Still not a fan. To be honest, though, as I have matured in life, I have come to realize that Fort Collins isn't isn't a bad place. Like, it, you know, there are worse places to go in Colorado. Just not to school. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, so you'd rather go to you'd rather go to school in uh, Grand Junction at Mesa than uh, than Fort Collins CSU. To be honest, like if if I didn't get into C, I never would have applied to CSU in the first place. But if I didn't get into CSU, and let's say I, I got into two schools, and one was Mesa and one was CSU, I one hundred percent would have gone to Mesa. No doubt wow. about it. Okay. No doubt about it. I, I, I'm sorry. With all respect to anyone listening in Grand Junction, if you'd rather be in Grand Junction than Fort Collins. <laughs> It's, for it's your not, college years <laughs> it's not necessarily about the city at all it's about the school i just there's there's no circumstance in which i would have gone to csu oh you know what if you if you were given the choice if you couldn't have gone to cu would you have gone to wyoming and crossed the border 100 percent. okay and that that's like being against csu as well i mean they got the battle for the bronze boot well, right. I mean, you can literally pick any school in the country and say, would you rather go here or CSU, except for Nebraska? Um, I would have just not gone to college if those were my two options. <laughs> All righty. My, my folks from the Count Ocula, from our friend Count Ocula, you are on the committee to select the new owners. Aside from cash holdings or any financial concerns, what would be the top three attributes you'd like this new captain or captains to bestow upon our fair franchise? Love the Count. Uh, I mean, respect for the players, uh, understanding of social issues, um, a want to build relationships with people inside the building, you know, Pat Bolin essentially with more cash. Yeah. Any discussion of this, you have to mention Pat Bolin. So I'm, I'm glad that his name came up here. And the thing that Pat Bolin did was when he took over the Broncos, he didn't clear cut and fire a bunch of people. Dan Snyder in Washington, that was a, the first big mistake he, make. he made. He was firing secretaries, equipment people, all sorts of behind the scenes staffers who made that organization run and run well for a long time just because he wanted his own people. Pat Bolin 
did the opposite. And it was also the opposite of his predecessor, Edgar Kaiser. Edgar Kaiser comes in and fires Fred Gerke and Red Miller right away. It's a little trivia thing that Red Miller coached in the Senior Bowl but then didn't make it to the next year because he got fired. That's something that's uh, very rare. So he brings in Dan Reeves, a very, a very good coach as it turned out, and he ends up uh, uh, going to the ring of fame and, and being clearly the right choice. But then he also brings in a, a young general manager by the name of Grady Alderman, who did not, did not do – very well. He was hired in March 81. And then right after Alderman, someone named Hein Paulus, a younger general manager. And instead, Pat Bolin decided, okay, I've got John Beek on my staff. I've got Dan Reeves. I'm inheriting these guys. I want to see what they can do. Hein Paulus was not a true football guy. So the one change that Pat Bolin did make was putting more football operations control in the hand of John in the hands of John Beek. And that proved to be a very wise decision. And then a couple of years later, Pat Bowen is uh, giving out extensions. He sees what he likes. The other thing Pat Bowen did, he also took that philosophy in league meetings. The first few years, he primarily sat and listened, learned about the NFL. And then by 1987, you had the NFL strike. And there were, and of course, the labor strike between the players and the owners. Pat Bowen, with his legal background, ended up being a tremendous asset to the owners. He was working hand-in-hand with another owner with a, legal, with a legal background, Hugh Culverhouse, in Tampa Bay. Of course, the two of them were the exact opposites in terms of how they, in terms of the quality of the ownership they had. Pat Bolin spent every last nickel. Hugh Culverhouse wanted to pocket every last nickel. That's one of the reasons why the Broncos have such a good history and the Bucks had such a bad history. But mm. Pat sat back and listened. That is exactly what you would want in your owner. And he understood that, you know, the, peop- the right people for the job may well be the people that are on hand who made this organization attractive enough for me to buy. So any person, if the Broncos are sold, anyone who buys them is regarding them as an attractive asset. And I would urge them to look carefully at everyone in the organization and, and examine why they are a part of the success that the team has had and not go through and fire people willy-nilly like some owners because, in, because what happens is you let go of a lot of good people if you do that. Yeah. Uh, I have another thought on this, but quickly, I want to give a shout-out to Manscaped. You know, I, uh, I've been playing a lot of golf lately, so that means I've been using a lot of crop preserver, and uh, I'm, I'm almost out. So I went on manscaped.com last night, went and ordered three bottles of it. You know, I figured might as well not mess around. Just get, you know, make sure I'm stocked up here. Uh, for as long as possible that way I don't have to uh, be so conservative with it anyways so I'm all stocked up on that Uh, I even uh, was looking at some of their other products too and uh, uh, picked up a couple more of those so uh, then I used the code DNVR20 and you better believe it I got 20% off uh, and free shipping which was a sick deal so head over to manscaped.com and get you some crop preserver. I don't even care if you get the other stuff. You need the crop preserver. I promise you, you need it. You'll never live life the same again. Uh, and then also <laughs> get some Strava Craft coffee while you're at it, while you're doing some internet shopping. DNVR20 is the code to get 20% off there as well. And they'll ship your coffee straight to your door. It's CBD-infused coffee, and some have said it's game-changing coffee. Okay, Mace. You know, the more I thought about this, the more I have a, a, a the most important thing 
about any owner. This is what, this is what matters the mm-hmm. most and not even cash. The most important aspect of any owner is the desire to win over the desire to make money. That has mm-hmm. to be number one. If this person is viewing this as a business investment, you're not going to have a good time. If this person is viewing this as a, for lack of a better term, toy, and they want to be competitive and win because this is their new toy, then you're going to have a much better time as a fan. Yeah, but a key to that is also making sure that if you are simply regarding it as a toy and you'll spend whatever it takes to win, making sure that you entrust the right people to spend that. And 99 times out of 100, that right person isn't going to be you. Um, I think back to it's start of the baseball season, so I think that back to the Atlanta Braves. And Ted Turner had a lot of money and a very bold, brassy personality. And they spent freely. And for most of his first 10 years as owner, they didn't spend smartly. There were some bad contracts. They went to the postseason only once in that span. And then in 1986, he says, you know what? I've learned what I don't know. And he hired Bobby Cox to run the baseball operations. Mm. And basically, they rebuild the organization from the ground up. And it took some time. There was It was pain. They were, it was all about developing the farm system, getting things right down there. But that laid the groundwork for what they did in the 1990s and into the 2000s. And the fact that they had Ted Turner as owner meant that they could spend freely, which meant they were developing their own guys. But, oh, by the way, I've got enough money to go write a check here for Greg Maddox and add him to Tom Glavin and John Smoltz, guys that had come up through their minor leagues. Now, the, the Braves traded for John Smoltz at a, the, the Doyle Alexander-John Smoltz trade, but he was still a minor league picture when they got him. So that's, And that's the sort of thing you want. You, you want the owner to, and sometimes it has to be the hard way, to, to learn what he or she doesn't know and then act, and then act accordingly and then, 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 it'll be, then, then it'll be all right. And you're right about being willing to lose money. One thing that owners sort of have to think in terms of is saying this, I'll make my money if and when I sell the team. If I really want to make a profit, I'm going to make that profit at the sale because sports franchise continue to, franchises continue to appreciate in, in all sports. I mean, it's not just football. Baseball franchises keep going up. Hockey, Major League Soccer keeps going up. All of them just keep appreciating. It's a great asset to have. And if you intend to make money on it, then you make money at the sale. Be willing to lose money in the short term if that's what it takes to win. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. Okay, last question here comes in from Mile High Mike. He says, second comment. When talking about the top 10 of all time, I'll admit I was a little surprised that Joe Montana's name was not even mentioned once. How far removed from he is the list for you? Top 15, top 20? Mile High Mike. He, he can't be any lower than top 15. The problem is when we're talking about a top 10 all-time list, you have to be careful that you don't go exclusively with quarterbacks. I mean, it would be easy to sit there and have a top 10 all-time list that has like five or six quarterbacks. But I think then, it should. Mm, see, I, I completely disagree because it, it, it is an apples to oranges comparison to evaluate a great quarterback against a great pass rusher, but both can 
but both have their attributes and both are different sides of being football players. And while the quarterback is obviously the most impactful because of the position he plays, does it doesn't mean that say Lawrence Taylor doesn't belong in the top 10 or Dick Buckus doesn't belong in the top 10 or Walter Payton at running back doesn't belong in the top 10. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, I guess, you know, it just depends on what you're, how you're grading it. Top 10 most valuable players, top 10 most talented players, top 10 talent versus production top, you know, there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, yeah. That would make it more inclusive, you know, top 10 in terms of dominance might be a great way to do it. And that, that, and mm-hmm. you know, that easily includes a guy like Lawrence Taylor. So um, it all depends on the semantics surrounding it. But uh, I think Joe Montana probably makes my top 10. We were discussing players that are kind of from the present day who would be in the top 10. Now we didn't mention Tom Brady, but I think unfortunately that's obvious, Yep. but the guy that I put in the top that I'd say has a case for the top 10, even though he's had injuries the last few years, but JJ Watt has a case for being a top 10 all-time player. Wow. Interesting. Well, think I... about this three defensive player of the year trophies yeah, that's on his shelf in those first five years with all the injuries that he's had to deal with in the last four seasons. I think just how dominant he was has been a little bit overlooked. I would also argue this. J.J. Watt is probably the biggest reason why Von Miller doesn't have a defensive, at least one defensive player of the year trophy on his shelf. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, and, I mean, he has and a, it's, just the injuries make it tough, you know. I think to be in the top ten of all time, you probably have to play a pretty clean career without many injuries. But at the same time, I mean, just you look at the peak and what he was when he was healthy, absolutely, absolutely dominant. There's been no better pass rusher from the interior as a 3-4 defensive end that I've ever seen than J.J. Watt. Yeah. No, I mean, he has a case for sure. Um, unfortunately, you know, no one wants to talk about this, but Patrick Mahomes is tracking that direction now. He's got a long, 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 long ways to go. But yes, the beginning of his career has set him up into a position where he could play himself into that conversation. Exactly. I mean, I'd say – Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, these are quarterbacks you'd love to have. But Russell Wilson, I think, ends up in that next tier all time. I don't think he ends up being top ten. But Patrick Mahomes, yeah, he's he's trending in that direction. Buckle yep. up, folks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we got right, one well, more question. Uh, wait, oh. we got one more under, under the wire coming in. And this one from Locked In. The free agents that we lost this past year did not receive the money they were hoping for. Now. Knowing how much they signed for, which free agents would you have brought back for the 2020 season? Hmm. I mean, you'd probably bring back Chris at that deal. The problem is that 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 that, that relationship was just soured. Um, it just it seemed like time for a fresh start for both. But if you know, if you could have gotten that deal with Chris midseason, you probably would have taken it. Yeah, you probably would have, and. I mean, I don't know that he would have, but the Broncos certainly would have. The rest of it, mm, the the price tag on Derek Wolf, I wouldn't have minded having him back, but at the same time, you're pretty well set. You do expect 
Draymond Jones to step up and be a worthy of at least a rotational role. And Shelby Harris being back, he's a really nice fit for what the Broncos want to do. I would sleep much better at night if Will Parks was still a Bronco. $1.5 million for one year. Yeah. Because something that Dre and I touched on yesterday, um, we talked about, you know, which player, which players could you least afford to lose. And we started with this defensive backfield. We both started with safety in Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson, because you have only one backup with experience and it's fairly minimal in terms of what Trey Marshall has with those two starts at the end of the year. And if something happens to Kareem Jackson and Justin or Justin Simmons, I, I get really nervous about the back end. And I feel much, yeah, I'd feel much better if Philly will had come back. And, and at 1.5 million, I'm like, oh my gosh, Broncos could have found that. Yeah, that's pennies. Uh, that that's a really good one. It would have been nice to have him back, but also I'm super happy for him that he gets to go play for his hometown Philadelphia Eagles. Um, even during his bye week, like a couple years ago, mm-hmm. he went to an Eagles game. You know, that's like he he truly loves that franchise and that city. So that's really cool for Will. It's good for him, and also a lot of the charity stuff he's got going on back in Philly as well. It's good for him to be back there, and uh, I'm pulling for him. I think he's going to do great there, but. I miss that dude. I already do. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, if you're going to stock up on any alcohol this weekend, uh, while you watch baseball and the return of major sports in America, you got to go down to Davidson's one in Centennial, one in Highlands Ranch. Great staff over there. can always help you out with whatever you're looking for. Uh, I went down there yesterday to get some new whiskey to drink away my sorrows uh, after the odd cast cup. So make sure you hit up Davidson's for all of your beer, wine and spirits needs. And make sure you have an amazing weekend. But we'll be back with you on Monday, and Zach will make his return as well. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, And Mace, I hope you have a great weekend, my man. Likewise. Have fun. Hope you get a chance to relax. And uh, can't wait to have the, the power trio back together Monday morning. Amen. All right. See you guys later.